Dee Dee Moonflyer here. Welcome to the Twilight Tonic Podcast. As always, I have a freshly brewed batch of the strange and unusual to share with you. So grab your favorite tonic, step inside the broom closet, and let's get started. Tonight on Twilight Tonic, I have the most amazing guest as always. This next guest has really blown me away. He is someone I stumbled across upon on the internet, and I tell you what, I am so proud to have him on here. He has written four history books, one demonic history, three true crime books that's going to be released, and six paranormal books, and he also is a demonologist, and that's our subject tonight on Twilight Tonic. How are you, Kyle? I am doing awesome tonight. I hope you're well. I am. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been looking forward to this interview all week. Tell us how you got started in demonology and why. Well, it's kind of my, my whole life is kind of complex, but um, when I was 13 years old, I had a um, college professor stop teaching at college and come to my uh, school system to teach the gifted program. And he decided his name was Gail Gooden, and he decided that he was going to teach his at that time uh, we were eighth grade students. He was going to give us college level curriculum. Mm-hmm. and uh, every year that we went up a grade, he went with us. So he was actually my teacher for four years, and he decided his focus was ancient Greek. Mm-hmm. So from from age 13 forward, I was reading the Iliad and the Odyssey and learning Latin and learning Greek and learning about ancient religions and learning all of these things that at the time I thought were horrific because they right. were so difficult. But what it ended up doing was it opened up this whole world of the fact that, you know, mythology is really other people's religions over time. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I was age 17, my dad died, and that put me on even more of a religious quest. I wanted to understand the nature of Christianity and then ultimately how that had evolved over time and changed. And I did that and went through various denominations that way, all the way back to the earliest Christian writings. And then I said, well, that's good, but what happened before? So then I went back and studied in depth uh, the development of the Judaic traditions and you know the different t- tribes of, uh, of Israel actually being different religions of Israel. And then I looked at their competitors who were the Canaanites and who were the Babylonians and studying their religion and how it developed. And I also specialized in Egyptology. Um, I've actually gotten to spend some time in Egypt and uh, I can do a a little bit of middle, uh, middle Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics. And I I just kept going backwards. Uh So I got all the way back to Mesopotamia, which is kind of the earliest writing that we have that, and it focuses on the idea of demons and how they influence the world. Mm-hmm. And so after spending time working on Mesopotamian, I said, well, this shows me what happened when Alexander 
overlaid, but what happened in the other direction? And so I went the other way. And so I studied Tibetan religions and I studied uh, Hindi and Buddhism and Taoism and even Shinto. And then as you go further, jumping over to the ancient religions of North and South America, uh, I've looked at the Incan religions and the Mayan religions and the Wari and as many as I could, I just have tried to be a sponge of religion and piece it all together. Mm-hmm. And so with that as kind of a background, I had no ambitions to be a true demonologist. I had no ambitions to be a paranormal investigator. Right. But as I did these uh, investigations, mm-hmm. um, I tra- I've tra- got a chance to try. I've traveled all over the world. I've um, done 60 countries. Yes. And, you know, I just tried to soak up the culture and soak up the every, the history, the truth, whatever it is. And, you know, in that process, um, I early on, I kept like I got tens of thousands of travel photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had someone reach out to me that uh, was in real danger. And they were looking for paranormal folks uh, to help them. And it just happened at that point in time, I was uh, one of my, kind of side gigs that I uh, spent 18 years uh, playing around with was radio in Atlanta. And um, that someone reached out to me because of that. And they said, Hey, can, can you help us? I had just met um, Grant and uh, Jay from the TV show ghost hunters, right. which was just getting started. It hadn't even come out yet. And um, so I met them. So I reached out to TAPS, which was the organization that founded them, and they were booked. They were like, we're, we're busy for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But they said, hey, there's this group in Atlanta that can help you. They're, they're an affiliate of ours. Well, I vetted that group, and they were scam artists. They were, they were pay for play. They would mm-hmm. find your business haunted if you paid them a fee, and then they put you on a ghost tour that they all got kickbacks from as part of it. Oh, so nope. that, that, yeah, yeah, that wasn't an option. Um, I met the young lady and she was just terrified. So she had a legitimate scare. And so I conned my friends into going and doing, um, I guess you would call it the first paranormal investigation I had participated in. And it was, um, something bad. And, uh, that case, um, you know, nothing, nobody got really hurt or anything like that, but it was enough of a haunting that after that, I never looked back. It was um, go, go, go and mm-hmm. help people. And, you know, that for me, the, the, my job as a demonologist, I don't care what the truth is. I just want to find it. So, right. you know, if, if someone's scared, I want to find out what's causing that fear and try to solve it. And, you know, I, I, it's become a crusade. You know, I don't charge a fee ever. Um, I, you, I do a lot of my own dime flying wherever or traveling wherever. Um, sure. Whatever's needed to help the people who need help. And um, that's been my life for decades now. So. Mm. Um, out of curiosity, I mean, you have studied 22 religions as well. Yeah. How many religions have demons out of curiosity? It can't be just Christianity. Okay, all of them. Yeah, in in different different names and in different forms, but most of what we think of as the modern Christian religion, even Mm -hmm. like baptism. Baptism dates all the way back to Mesopotamia and Sumer. Um, The idea of water purification. Um, From a Mesopotamian perspective, they believed that all illnesses and all of nature in some ways were demonic or gods, depending on the power level. And so they actually then developed what we would think, what I guess pop culture would say are spell books. But the reality is when we look at the actual um, writings, the cuneiform, they're Mm -hmm. actually in a lot of cases recipes for medicine. So the ritual was part of it. But what you discover is the chemicals that they're combining, the plants and all of that, are really herbal medicines. Mm-hmm. So they've created actually a, a, what we call, consider, I guess, a cookbook or a codex of 
spells and medical cures and things like that. And so these traditions from Mesopotamia forward were inherited. And even some of the gods and that later became demons in uh, different books were Mesopotamian. Like, um, I guess one of the biggest known of their inheritors, so to speak, mm-hmm. if you're a Christian and had read um, the Bible, one of the bad guys throughout the Bible, and he's in it throughout the Bible more than uh, the Satan is, uh, is Baal Hadad, Baal. And Baal is actually a title that literally means the Lord. Uh-huh. Hadad is the, the God. And you find actually his religion when at the same time the Jews were in Jerusalem, his religion was the biggest religion in the entire Mediterranean. And it stretched all the way across into India. Wow. And that's why he becomes the bad guy in so many Jewish stories mm-hmm. where they're competing their God against Baal because he literally was the temple down the street. And that's also part of the reason why um, the story of Abraham and Isaac, the, the sacrifice becomes important because one of the things that happened in the worship of Baal Hadad and in most religions of the time was that you would sacrifice a child to the God. And so that's what made the Abraham and Isaac story um, so poignant. It's because it it allowed a substitution Mm. in contrast to the competing religion down the street. And there was such a bitter rivalry between them, though, that that's the reason a lot of the Jewish tradition has things in it, like against marrying Outside your religion, it has mm-hmm. the strict diets. It was ways to separate their followers from the competing religions. And so they demified them mm. to make the, the competing religions the bad guys. And so part of what I do as a demonologist is when someone says, oh, I got this demon after me, whatever. <laughs> I have researched the real history of it and can say, well, okay, this is a mistranslation. This is you know, this is what's happened. It's, that's not really the name of a demon. Um, mm-hmm. One of the biggest cases along that line um, that I actually uh, received uh, a lot of attention for a few years ago uh, is the fact that Lucifer is a typo. When people hear oh, Lucifer, wow. they think of, you know, they think of, you know, that he's the Satan or whatever. Right. It really isn't. It, it's, it's a typo. Um, I, Isaiah fourteen twelve. Uh, the, the Jews are cast out of Jerusalem, and they are, um, Isaiah is prophesizing the return eventually, right? And yeah. as part of them being cast out, um, Nebuchadnezzar II, uh, his, he's the, the Babylonian king. His son is one of the regents that's over the Jerusalem area. And the particular passage is, he's taunted, he's, he's taught, uh, Isaiah is literally talking down about uh, Nebuchadnezzar or his son, we don't know which one, but saying, he that is so wonderful, he that's so mighty. He, and he's going on and you know, t- giving all these platitudes toward the guy, and then he says, but he's going to fall. Well, one of the platitudes he says is uh, that he is the bearer, he that is the bearer of light. And in Hebrew, the word halal, and literally the word halal is the translates from the biblical perspective into uh, eventually it's the Christian Bible is adapted to Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes heophos, which means a torchbearer. And it also could be used sometimes to, to, to describe Jupiter, carrying right. the torch. And, and then it goes into Latin, where it, the Latin word for light is lux. He who carries a light is a lucifer, lowercase. And so what happens is over time, it accidentally gets capitalized and becomes a name, but there's still not this negative connotation to it. And uh, somewhere around eight or 900 AD, um, they start comparing it and saying, maybe this is talking about the fallen angel of light, the Hob Satan. Um, so, the term Satan is used two different ways in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's 
or in or in Hebrew, there's the Satan, which means a general adversary, like an attorney or someone who kind of stands against. Okay. And then there's the Hob Satan, which is a specific individual, but not the same individual necessarily throughout the New Testament. And so it's somewhere around between 800 and 1,000. Um, those Lucifer gets linked up to him. And that's that's great and good, and that becomes kind of the the background uh, story. But by the time Martin Luther does his theses, um, Martin Luther could read Hebrew, and he understood that it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And Calvin understood it was a mistake. So after the the Protestant Reformation, for Hundreds and hundreds of years, Lucifer basically disappeared from at least the Protestant side of life, and the Catholics basically forgot him as well. But in 1909, the Strong Concordance Bible, which is a version of the King James edition, became the first Bible in 400 years to have uh, kind of like liner notes, commentary notes on the sides of the pages. Uh And... For that section on Isaiah, they actually said, well, this clearly is a reference to the Satan. And this Strong's Concordance Bible became the most popular Bible ever published in the English language. And um, it's still today. uh, Somewhere like six out of ten versions of the Christian Bible are a deviation from or a variation of the Strong's Bible. And it eventually, when that Bible became public domain, it was then retroactively printed into other languages, corrupting their, them as well. So anyway, that's the kind of thing I do. Is, um, I, if someone has something demonic, I track down, first of all, is it the real name? Is it something real historic? And then I look at the entity if there is an entity involved. Right. So, Kyle, if someone says they have Lucifer in their dining room... First There's thing I would say is it's no really Lucifer. not Lucifer. <laughs> well, I, w- I would say that, you know, you may have something in your dining room. It may claim to be Lucifer, but it's not. Okay. Um, and then the next step would be to go and c- confirm that there is really something there. Um, you know, one of the disservices uh, that popular media has done is they, you know, in paranormal stuff, we go through phases. Right. The ghosts are popular. And when the ghosts start dying out, it becomes something demonic. And when mm-hmm. the demonic stuff starts dying out, it becomes something witchcraft related or whatever. Well, unfortunately, shows like um, Ghost Adventures, where someone may get possessed every week, or uh, TV shows like Supernatural, where there's a demon. Well, to the show, to the day, I, based on what kind of communications I get, people say, oh, I'm being possessed by so-and-so. Well, who was, what show was he on this week? <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 it's sad, but it's really true. Yes. People are affected so much by pop culture that they will imagine if they saw something scary or if they saw something disturbing, they kind of um, put it into their own lives. And so, uh, you know, that, with that kind of as the background, if someone thinks they have something, you know, they go through a, a screening process. And if it's something that seems to be threatening to them and they pass the various tests, then sometimes that warrants going in person to do it. Sometimes I'll dispatch some of the teams I work with around the world. And, you know, then if that team verifies that there's something going on, I may have to go. But in general, uh, it's a lot of triage to figure out what's really going on. And it's also not like it is in the movie. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have um, stuff like the bleeding walls and all of that. Um, I will mention when I, I mentioned the bleeding walls, anybody who saw like the movie, the Amityville horror. Oh yeah. And, I remember that. And they, <laughs> it, yeah. Or maybe the conjuring. All right. So there's a punchline to that whole set of movie stories. It turns out the movie, uh, makers the film companies got sued by a man uh, gerald brittle who said hey you owe me money for all these warren related films everything from conjuring to amityville and all that and the movie theater like the movie companies are like no we don't it's a historical fact 
Well, as the lawsuits, you know, went from just a few million to the word billion with a B, eventually this got to the point where it was getting ready to go to, to court and discovery was presented. And the mm -hmm. author, Gerald Brittle, literally wheeled in boxes and boxes of documents and reel-to-reel -reel tapes where he and the Warrens basically made up all of the really super creepy things that you saw in those movies. Oh, my. That's so crazy. Yeah. So when someone starts reporting some of that stuff, you know, you, you have to go, okay, let's really test it. Let's yeah. really prove it. And 99% of the time, um, there's no basis for it. Uh, every once in a while, you'll find something amazing and remarkable and mm. scary, but that's very, very, very rare. My next question is, the Catholic Church has very few priests that can do exorcisms. Is that correct? Or do they... Well, that, you, that used to be the case. Mm -hmm. And then um, about 1998, they reversed the policy. So the Office mm -hmm. of Exorcism now does like regular classes uh, for the priest. And um, they've, ra they've radically, over the past few years, expanded who can do exorcisms. But at the same time they've done that, they've kind of watered down who gets it, if, if you get my drift. In other words, right. it used to be a very high standard, and now literally a pope walking down the street's like, oh, I'm performing an exorcism, and it's, you know, because people are sick or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, it, it, it's not like it was under earlier popes. Out of curiosity, I mean, when people talk about demons, are they necessarily evil, like people are thinking? In, in, in my personal opinion, no. Um, if you think about it, if you if cows could talk, right, <laughs> we we would be demonic mass murderers. Oh, humans. yeah, absolutely. So, you your enemy or what we judge to be evil is what harms us and it's all relative and it's all um, from perspective. First of all, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough. The demonic real cases are very, very rare. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, at least in my humble experience, it isn't like, again, in the movies, they're not hunting around necessarily plaguing an individual. Mm -hmm. um, what, as a matter of fact, you know, that this, that that's a great question you asked. I actually had the opportunity years ago, the Maya descendants that still live uh, in central Mexico, every uh, solstice, December 21st, they do what's called the sun death ritual. Mm -hmm. And as part of that sun death ritual, I was honored enough to be allowed to sit in for the whole thing. No way. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> That's it, so it, awesome. It, 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 it is the most amazing thing or one of the most amazing things I've ever done. But they build this uh, um, kind of a, a three-level circle mm -hmm. with flower petals and elaborate, you would almost say like temple paintings mm -hmm. out of flowers around it. And the idea is that at sunrise on the morning of the solstice, one of their volunteers invites a demon into his body and then that demon is trapped within the circles and interacts with um, various actors, re re basically retelling the story of the Mayan sun death, where the jaguar chases the sun mm -hmm. until it catches it, right. and all that. And the thing that's so fascinating about this, why it's more than just a dance, so to speak, from the time that this individual, usually they're about, I don't know, 18, 19-year-old boys, maybe a little uh, you know variation there, but from the time the Jamin brings the demon into it, this kid physically transforms. I, and I, can't, I don't know a better way to describe it. His muscle structure changes. Really? And for the next 12 hours, because they're you know, close enough to the equator, mm -hmm. that sunrise to sunset on the solstice is about 12 hours. Um, he dances in ways that an Olympic gymnast would be embarrassed. 
I mean, it's the most incredible sight watching this guy. And, you know, other actors in the different roles will come in and interact with it. But um, this goes on. He's the only one there doing this for 12 hours. No food, no water, nothing. Mm. And at the, at the point that the sun sets, part of what the, the Jamin does is uh, kind of a pseudo smudging ceremony, but it's a smoke related spell that he does. And he slowly begins to break the circle and all the other actors are moved out. And he does the ritual to purge the demon mm-hmm. from this boy. And literally the boy turns to, to liquid. I mean, he just collapses. He mm-hmm. can't talk. He can't walk. He can't, he literally has to be carried. And it's, it, it's amazing. That's the only way I can describe it. I've never seen anything so, I don't know, supernatural is a word uh, uh-huh, I would right. apply to that. Um, and I've seen a lot of stuff that's, you know, abnormal to say the least. And that's just one of the most memorable things because of all of it. I, I don't know how a, a, just a regular straight up person could mm-hmm. do what this, these people do. That's incredible. You said his muscles changed, his eyes changed. Yep. Wow. Yep. It, That's, I, I can't even imagine getting to witness that. Not very many people get to witness that ceremony. Yeah. You know, I, for a long time, I would go to, before it was so dangerous, I would go to Mexico um, about three or four times a year. And I, I got to explore, I've literally explored every um, Mayan and Aztec ruin within about 300 miles of Mexico City. Awesome. And, um, you know, I everywhere I've traveled, not just in Mexico, but everywhere around the world, getting to meet the people and be involved in their culture Mm-hmm. If they think you're really sincere about it, that you really want to learn, they are always so friendly and so willing to share who they right. are with you. And uh, I was just really honored um, to be invited to do that. And it, it just happened that the time was right. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I wanted to be down there for solstice and I met them from before and, one thing led to another, and it was just an incredible opportunity. That is just awesome. You know, I find it interesting when you talk about that. Um, it brings to mind and of one of my favorite movies, but they didn't make any more of them, was The Golden Compass. Mm-hmm. And their familiars were called demons. Yeah. And a lot of Christians were mad about that, and that's why they didn't make a second movie. Well, you know, the thing there, it's a Horrible, horrible mistranslation. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the Greek. So in ancient Greece, and I, I, the reason the ancient Greece comes up is because you have to realize that the, the New Testament of the Christian Bible was Greek before mm-hmm. it was Latin and before it was English. And the Greeks believed that there were three levels of divinity. So the upper level they called the theos. And that was like their gods on Olympus. So that would be like um, the god we currently call Zeus or Apollo or Athena. Mm-hmm. And so that they believed that their gods lived in a magical place called uh, Olympus. And the second level was what they would call a daemon. Mm-hmm. And a, da- a daemon was the term for a god coming to earth. So when Zeus comes to Earth in the form of a swan and impregnates a girl named Leda, or when um, someone like Hercules, or Heracles, depending on your pronunciation, um, is on Earth as a divinity, he is a daemon. And so anytime a god was walking the Earth physically, it's a daemon. And then the third level was something called a demonium. And a demonium is kind of like an intangible um, Mm -hmm. In, think of it as an inspiration or a, a guardian angel in modern terms, right? Something right. invisible that says, oh, don't do that. And uh, Plato even wrote about a demonium saving him because he used to walk the same way home every day from his lectures. And a demonium one day told him not to go down that particular street and there were men waiting to kill him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then what happens is when the Greeks write the Bible, or you know, it's framed into Greek for the Bible, the words uh, "theos" becomes theology, and so it begins to refer to God in heaven and the angels in heaven, not on earth. Mm-hmm. Jesus as a divinity on earth becomes a daemon. And the word demonium becomes like the Holy Spirit or an angel on earth, something intangible on earth. Hmm. So when the, then when the idea progresses to the idea of the fallen angel, uh, I got the it. fallen <laughs> angels become divinity on earth and become the demons or the demons in modern modern context. That's so interesting. So all of this basically is misinterpreted. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that there are not entities of power beyond, you know, beyond what right. humans have that are older. It's just to say that we have demonized them, literally, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and transformed what was once knowledge into something else, something um, more pop-cultured, more um, incorrect than we once Mm -hmm. knew. So out of curiosity, because I I always wondered this, people like the Catholic Church and stuff, do they realize all of this? Uh, Yeah. Um, And, but you also have... You know, and I don't want to pick on the Catholics in particular, but, mm-hmm. you know, all religions to some extent make themselves more relevant by making people more afraid of mm. outsiders to their religion. Sure. And Absolutely. it's not just the Catholic Church. It's virtually every religion yeah. in some way, shape or form helps solidify their own religion by separation. And the only reason why I bring up the cat, I was raised Catholic till I was 13. Well, you know, I'm I'm like familiar with it. I mentioned Lucifer earlier. Mm -hmm. That actually is uh, when I was approached uh, because someone said, oh, Lucifer's haunting me, yada, yada, yada. I started doing some research. And then about that same time, it was Easter. And Mm -hmm. every Easter, the Pope delivers something called a Pascal, which is a kind of prayer. Mm-hmm. And in it, he repeatedly says the word Lucifer, Lucifer, Lucifer. And so the internet always goes wild. It's like, Pope's devil worshiper. Pope <laughs> worship is Lucifer. But it, the, the reality is the Pascal is actually referring to Jesus as the light bearer, mm-hmm. the Christ that bears the light, etc. And so that's why uh, it actually, uh, my arc, the early version of uh, that particular chapter in the book on Lucifer mm-hmm. got uh, attention because I had several Catholic uh, uh, deacons and priests. And because sometimes when I'm doing some of these religious books, I will send them out to various priests to look at and just to give me their feedback sure. because I want to make sure I'm getting their, their religion right as it's being treated. And I actually um, had a deacon that moved it up through the ranks um, because the Catholic Church was uh, glad that I was defending the Pope and actually fully supported it. And it allegedly went all the way up to the Vatican. And I got a, um, a reward for that. That's um, awesome. Got, yeah, at the time, um, you can't get a papal endorsement for a paranormal book. But <laughs> what did happen is the English edition of the Catholic Exorcism, which is only available to priests that go through that training class I was talking about earlier right. on exorcisms, I was sent one. So I received oh, my own copy. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that particular book. And, uh, you know, because a lot of effort goes into all my books and mm-hmm. uh, the fact that, you know, I, I felt like I was doing the right thing by making sure people understood that, uh, you know, that there, there, there's some errors going on. Sure. I I find it so interesting, too, because, you know, pagans, they do not believe in hell or the devil. Not by those names, but, you know, that that's the whole thing. When we use the term pagan, first of all, 
Mm-hmm. That's a gen- that's a general slander term that oh, was used to against anybody who worshipped the old religions when right. Christianity was made the the official religion of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And that when we talk about pagan, that that can unfortunately be anything these days. It could be Greek, it could mm-hmm. be Egyptian worship, it could be Celtic deviation, mm-hmm. it could be Wicca and things like that. Most. All right, this is where I'm about to get myself into trouble. So, but I, I'm going to go to most of the modern quote unquote pagan religions mm-hmm. are derived from not true sources. So, a lot of the, um, and I've got to be careful because I don't want people burning my house down, but a, a lot of the basis for certain, uh, quote-unquote pagan religions, mm-hmm. is stuff completely made up. Um, when we talk about, like, Celtic tradition, mm-hmm. there's very, 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 very little Celtic writing left. You know, it, it was Ogham for the most part. What we know about the Celts was mostly from uh, Roman writers. Sure. And a lot of the rituals and all that have just been created. Um, they may be embracing some of the ideas, but, again, it's not from the source material. I just, yes day or the day before had someone inquire saying that they worshiped a certain old god well when i i wanted to double check but i went through some of my my research stuff and i'm like okay the god you're saying you worship has absolutely no written material known on them the name is mentioned on two uh literally two statues as dedications and that's the only place in the entire history so far we know anything about this particular deity. Interesting. So, you know, it's things like that that, again, I, I started out by saying, as a demonologist, I don't care what the truth is. I just want <laughs> to know the truth. Right. And um, that gives me freedom because when I go into looking at a situation, I don't, I try not to come in with any bias at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just as happy to say, yeah, you know, you're right. I Here's this ancient text, <laughs> and it lays it all out. Um, and, you know, even talking about that, you'll hear in, like, the, particularly the creepy movies or um, modern witches and things like that, sure. using grim, grimoires. So grimoires, people think of these big, giant books with evil spells in them to summon <laughs> the devil and mm-hmm. sigil. Well, if you actually research the grimoires, First of all, the sigils, people that think that think are magic, mm-hmm. aren't. They're shorthand, literally shorthand. Like when we were back in the old days when you had stenographers mm-hmm. and you would use a symbol for a word or a hashtag as a pound sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's all sigils are. So when you're reading these ancient books, most of the time it's written in shorthand because they were hand copied. Mm-hmm. And then when you really understand these quote-unquote magic books, what you discover is most of them are Christian spells asking God, literally, it's got the names of God written in it, to protect them from these evils. And so, you know, it, it, again, I don't want, I don't try to offend anybody with their religion. They can believe what they want to believe, but I'm going to do my best to at least say, hey, I want you to think about it. This, you know, this has been added. And I, I do that. No matter the religion, whether, you know, in Christianity's case, I'll point out and say, hey, you know, like I said, Lucifer, it's a typo. Or, you know, certain other things. That wasn't added until 300 AD or whatever. Um, Interesting. And, you know, because I want people when they make a decision about whatever it is to to know the source of it, to know the basis Uh of their, And, you know, if anything, I hope that that discovery, well, whatever their faith is, whatever their belief is, will reinforce it. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of my take take on that. I, 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 Because I have studied so many religions, I have seen the commonality, and I have seen, in some cases, where that's been exploited by sure. individuals for power. But at the same time, it, religion gives a miraculous uh, fabric to, to help society move forward. And in, you know, some cases to give them the, the kind of the enlightenment that they need um, 
or understanding of the universe. So I think, yeah. you know, I, I, I look at it as I'm trying to find the truth and hopefully people will accept the truth as we discovered. And if I'm wrong, I'm happy to say I'm wrong and, you know, work with whoever to try to figure out what's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find it interesting because of all the research you've done, and I'm sure it happens a lot. Mistranslations. What is the most unique find for you when you've done this research that you kind of sat down and went, whoa? You know, it, every day <laughs> that I'm d- digging in research is that way. Um, you know, we as a society, we live today particularly on sound bites. And so people don't ever really know the truth about history. And history gets rewritten over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we think we know um, American history. And the truth is, the American history 50 years ago isn't the American history today. We've re we've rewritten it. And that's been the truth of humanity over and over again. So as you, you dig back further, part of what I guess the biggest shock is humanity's depth and breadth are far greater than most people understand. You know, we I'll just use North America as a quick example. So. 50 years ago, you were told here in North America that the Native American tribes that exist today are have been here no longer than about 2,000 years, mm. right? You know, yeah. today, however, we know that North America has been settled or had occupation for at least 15,000 years. We know that there have been discoveries in Central and South America that date back 20,000 years. Mm-hmm. And and then when you add that extra layer to it and you say, hey, do you know that 12,000 years ago, when the, that when the Ice Age ended, North America and Florida, for instance, was twice the size it is. Yeah. And there were villages along the seacoast, which are now underwater. And when we start looking at the whole world, we find, you know, here in North America, for instance, at about that, the, at the point that the ice age collapsed, there, there's actually a burn layer. They call it a black layer that seems to indicate that there was a mass fire, possibly from, uh, you know, they say a comet or an asteroid hitting in the, the glacial field, mm-hmm. which actually may have caused the end of that ice age. And we find that all over North America and in Europe at the same time. And for those people who have gr- grown up on the, the tradition of Noah's Ark, and the Great Flood, there's actually evidence to support that, not just in the Christian religion, but mm-hmm. even I mentioned Babylonian at the beginning. They have a version of the Great Flood. And all of these works seem to go back to an event that happened about the same time, about 12,000 years ago. And, you know, it's things like that that blow your mind. And, you know, um, to, even today, we are constantly discovering ruins that change our history. You know, Gobli Tepe is an amazing place. It's in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at a time when our history tells us we, you know, didn't have cities and didn't have agriculture, here's this religious center that didn't support um, actual people living there, but was this religious center that functioned for thousands of years and we find not far from there, there actually are villages that have agriculture going on literally thousands of years before modern history has said that that's a possibility. Right. So we're constantly get amnesia, I guess, of where <laughs> we came from. And I think that's been the biggest revelation is as you dig deeper you find more and you find more and you find more and you suddenly realize that human beings were, I'm I'm not going to say we're so much better than we are, but they're so much better than we understand that they were historically. They were in a lot of ways, just as smart, just as innovative and just as full of potential as we are today. 
And we've just forgotten that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I joke, I joke frequently that, you know, the Romans had hot and cold running water and indoor toilets. Yes, they did. Al- Al- <laughs> Alabama didn't get those till the 1950s. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> unfortunately, that, unfortunately, it's true, though. It is, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, so we as human beings, we go through cycles over and over again. And I think um, from my perspective, anytime I can dig up history and bring it to light, anytime I can expand the, my knowledge base, I think I've, I'm, I, 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 I'm amazed. I'm, you know, just I'm in constant amazement. Really, I am. Yeah. Um, there's so much we don't understand about who we are as people. And, you know, that, that's part Absolutely. of what my, my job as a historian has always been. Out of curiosity, people have called you, obviously, to for help. Have you ever seen anything that the average Joe would consider a demon? Uh, yeah. Um, so there, there, there are shades there. First off, when we we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. The, the term paranormal just means that, you know, it's outside the normal. Supernatural mm-hmm. means it's outside. So there are things happening in our universe that sometimes you just can't explain. Uh, whether it's a simple haunting, there's a place I go to up in, um, it's outside of Nashville called Red Boiling Springs. Mm-hmm. There's a haunted house there. It's a bed and breakfast. And what makes this place special, it's called the Thomas House. It, the Thomas House had a cult on it for uh, several years from the 88 until 92. And this cult practiced summoning rituals, trying to summon demons of the dead. Mm-hmm. And in their, in their case, I don't think there's any demonics there, but the people who died on that property are as real as you and me. Mm-hmm. You can interact with them and talk with them and hear them out loud. Um, there, there was a church on the property. And I could get it to open and close the doors of the church on command. Interesting. Um, so, you know, there's all sorts of things like that. One of the things that's happening, though, um, kind of going back to that same period in 1998, uh, where some of the things I mentioned, the Catholic Church doing some changing. But in 1998, a physics uh, group, a physics group of professors came up with a new science theory. And it was called the M as an M theory, like M as in magic or M as in Mary or whatever, mm-hmm. M theory. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to explain how, um, why mathematics on a micro level for, for atomic level particles wasn't the same as planetary mathematics. And this has been going on for uh, over 100 years. Um, and in 1998, they came up with a solution from a math perspective and discovered that if they did 11 dimensions and they, it, yeah. I'm not going to go into the what the dimensions are because it starts to blow my mind even. But <laughs> if, if mathematically there's 11 dimensions, math suddenly works. Mm-hmm. And as part of that theory, it says that there have to be infinite parallel possible universes. Hmm. So if you think of it, if we're a dot on a piece of paper, or maybe a, think of a dot on the computer screen is a better way to think about it, and our dot's kind of moving around the screen, Mm-hmm. just at random there's another infinite number of dots swirling around that screen and sometimes they bump into us and where they bump their reality and our reality like pressing two balloons together mm. collide kind of collide yeah and so personally i think that um, that's a lot of what the paranormal is it's a result of that collision and um, like if you see a ghost or an apparition, that doesn't mean it's a dead person. It could be, let's say, that reality is still in 1864. And so that Confederate soldier you're seeing is not a ghost. It's him and his reality. And right. you see him, you don't see him as clearly because you're looking through the balloon, so to speak. Um, but as I've traveled, I've encountered full-bodied apparitions I've had years ago um, in a, on a demonic case uh, that, frankly, that, that went south really quickly, that went badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was picked up and thrown, oh. and I'm a big guy. Um, I've been attacked, and I uh, was left uh, in one particular instance uh, thinking I was freezing to death for six weeks in summer. Oh. So, 
yeah, um, there are things out there that tell me that there's more to to this than uh, you know just imagination, and I encounter it. And but most of the time, when you're dealing with something, even something really that we perceive as dangerous, um, it, it's really not. It's doing the same thing we do. It's feeding. It's like a mosquito. Mm-hmm. And just like a mosquito, if you, the whole purpose of like a Catholic exorcism, right? Catholics believe because of the mistranslation uh, and the difference between a daemon and a demonium, they believe that demons and all divinity is immortal, right? Immortal right. and it can't be harmed. And so what that means is the Catholic Church doesn't have a method to quote unquote kill a demon or anything like that. An exorcism is just commanding the demon in the name of Jesus to leave, right? Mm -hmm. And even we see that in the Bible. When Christ encounters the legion, he casts them into the unclean pigs and then kills the unclean pigs, but it doesn't kill the demons. It just drives the demons away. Mm -hmm. So the Catholic and most Christian exorcisms are all based on the idea that you can't harm something demonic but that you can make it leave because uh, the person is Christian or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, to, the Tibetan side, or the, the side that didn't get conquered by Alexander the Great, uh, so it wasn't uh, Hellenified, all of that side believes just the opposite. Just like the ancient Mesopotamians believed you could kill a demon uh-huh. or you could kill a god, they, the, the Eastern traditions all believe that. So, for instance, in Tibet, they use, well, Tibet, uh, Pakistan, India, but mostly Tibet uh, is what I specialize in. They use a weapon called a furba yeah. or a, a virakaila, which is basically a, a three-pointed dagger made of um, either one, three, or seven sacred metals. Kyle, you've been to Tibet, can't... haven't you? I have not. I that, that, that trip didn't make it. Okay, I was just curious. I didn't mean uh, but, to interrupt, yeah. but I was like, I yeah. bet you. <laughs> no, no, no that, that's still on the bucket list, but they, there was something that kept that happening. Um, but uh, the this Burba, they believe, can kill gods and kill demons. And I actually have a collection of them. I've got, uh, I think my oldest one's about 500 years old. And, uh, oh, my goodness. But what it turns out is when you actually look at the metallurgy, these furbas, originally they were wood, so they would actually nail the person to the ground oh. with these spikes. But eventually this evolved, and the metal urgy for these furbas, it turns out that they're natural lightning rods. They pull energy out of a system. So if the theory, for them anyway, is that if something is of a paranormal nature, demonic nature, or whatever this device can pull the life energy out of that god, that demon, whatever. So the Eastern approach to tackling demons is you can kill it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I've done in the field side of demonology, um, I can tell you that carrying the fervors into a situation has had impact where I would not have expected it. In some cases, just like a regular haunting. Yeah. Um, if I carry one particular furba into the house, it a real haunting stops. It goes away. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's difference in philosophy. And that's one of the reasons why I keep studying different religions and different philosophies to try to get the best answer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always up to experiment, but um, I just want to know and I want to, to try to use all the tools. And that's one of the things that makes me different from like, um, like you have all the time, t- the, I call them the TV exorcist or the TV <laughs> demonologist, mm-hmm. you know, m- 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 or, you know, some of them are self-proclaimed bishops and things like that. Ooh. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I, I take exception to that because even the ones that from a simply Christian side are most uh, experienced in research still are kind of limited because mm-hmm. they don't often break 
that dogmatic box that they're in. And there's so, so much in all the religions. Again, no matter what religion pretty much you're talking about, there's something you can gain from having additional insight and additional knowledge. Wow. That's really interesting. Especially the Tibetan tool you were talking about. That's fascinating to me. Uh, I, I love it. I, um, you know, that when I was first into the, the demonology stuff, I stumbled across one that actually was auctioned in the 70s at Sotheby's mm-hmm. as one of the top 100 cursed items on the planet. Wow. Um, and it is. Um, I, we, <laughs> it's, it's a long story, but. Um, there, there's one ferba that I have that never leaves the house. It's locked up um, and locked as far away from regular people as uh, it can be. Um, I've uh, I paid a price to get it. Not mm-hmm. fin- not not as not financial, but the person was all too happy to make sure I took it. But um, <laughs> it uh, in and of itself has its own just craziness associated with it. But um, the the study of the Tibetan and the Indian concepts and the early Chinese Taoist concepts give so much more understanding about potentially uh, what kind of entity a demonic really is mm-hmm. than just the Christian side by itself. Interesting. Especially if there are other dimensions that would be so different, they could be so different from us. Right. And, you know, the thing is, I think we might be scary to them. I'm sure we are. (laughs) You know, they're scary to me. (laughs) (laughs) They might look at us and go, those things are horrifying. Yeah. And, you know, that's the whole thing about my commitment to the truth, though. It's, that's the truth too that you're speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just as strange and unusual to someone else as they are to us. There's even a paranormal case. Um, there's a, a little inn up in, I believe it's Rhode Island. And historically, sometimes if you leave the uh, your uh, suitcase in the room, you'll come back to the room and it's unpacked. Interesting. And one of the early ghost teams. I think it was actually TAPS itself that did it. They left a recorder device going in the room, and the woman, there's a woman's voice, which there was no woman in the hotel at that time. Uh, you, you hear her saying, who are you? Why are you trying to scare me? Oh, it's like The Others, the movie yeah, The Others. Ex- exactly. One of my but favorite this, paranormal movies is The Others. Well, this, you know, was even years before that came out. That, that made part of the inspiration mm-hmm. but um you know if we think about that that changes the whole equation paranormal isn't a sca- isn't scary and contrary to most uh, assertions no one's really ever been killed from a paranormal case even the famous one the bell witch yes. is always claimed. well this is the case that killed you know first person killed by paranormal well i actually wrote a book on that and uh it's the book is in and of itself, yeah, it's a throwaway. But the, re- <laughs> the research, it, the research at the end is the is the game changer because mm-hmm. I was able to prove that the whole Bell Witch story is a fraud. And you know, and that is cited as the case that someone was killed. Wow. And um, you know that kind of thing when you realize it. All our fears of the paranormal, all the horror movies and all I'm that, sure. really just come down to our primal fear of the dark. Our primal fear of the unknown. And once you start peeling that veil back and stop being afraid of things that go bump in the night, it isn't, it isn't as terrifying and it isn't as threatening. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mentioned earlier that the Thomas House, um, one of the things it had on it until a few years ago was it had a church that was super over the top haunted. Allegedly, the the priest killed himself there um, after being caught uh, uh, diddling a parishioner who was married to one of his other. Um, anyway, so the priest <laughs> killed himself, and so 
this place was for me the one of the most fascinating the whole thomas house property but this church too was particularly prominent as far as uh, having haunted activity and so i would go there frequently by myself at night and um so just sit in the church and i would i had tools i had like the the laser grids, which are like the Christmas lights that fire lasers everywhere. Yeah. So you have a yeah. static dots all around you. Um, so I would sit in there with that and, you know, try to get some reaction, try to get um, whatever was haunting it to interact. Mm-hmm. And one night I was sitting in there and I heard it, there was a kind of a side room on it. And I heard walking in that side room, which wasn't unusual. And then one by one, my laser grids start turning out, <laughs> leaving me in the dark. And then I start, things start raining down around me. And I, you know, fish out a flashlight. And there are objects all for all around me that have been thrown from across the room. Wow. And, you know, but you, you, you don't get scared because you realize that there's really nothing that they can do to, to kill you anyway. Yeah, they you could know, just hit you with a chair or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but it's it's still not as scary when you think of it in terms of, well, this is just somebody. It's somebody acting out. It's some, and, sure. you know, the magic part of it, the, the threat from that side of it kind of abates itself. Absolutely. And, you know, that it makes sense to me. You know, I was kind of raised with that thought. My mom was always like, well, you know, paranormal might be just part of nature it might be they're afraid of you as much as you're afraid of them yeah you know I, I tell you when i'm going out in the field from someone who's called on a demonic case mm-hmm. I, I am more afraid of the of the clients of the people oh i don't that i am of the that i am of the entity i i've been in cases where the and that's one of the reasons why there's such a a screening process before mm-hmm. going in the field. Um, I've been in cases that were so bad, parents would threaten their children with demonic attack and stuff like that, that literally, uh, you know, the Department of Children's Services had to get involved. Um, and, you know, you just, you never know. P- people, you know, we talked about e- are, demo- are demonic entities evil? And the answer is no more so than human. Interesting. That's a very interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Kyle, you've been, you're amazing. I am just so honored that you came on here with all your information. And I would love to have you on another show I do called Twilight Tonight. So I'm going to get with you after we say goodbyes so I can have you on there and get some dates. Um, I want to thank you. And his books are available on Amazon. And where else are they available? They're available at- through um, their Barnes and Noble. Can yes. they can special order them? A lot of the Barnes and Noble don't carry a whole lot of paranormal books anymore, but they can special order them for you. Um, Amazon's the easiest place uh, because Amazon gets them to you in just a day or two, and right. at, at, the, at the same basic price. So. Um, that that's where I usually just send people. Or you know, if I if I'm out and about and you come see me speak or whatever, um, I always have books with me there too. So where are you? Where's your next speaking location? The next thing I'm doing is in Savannah, Georgia. I am doing like a brand new, I think it's Horror and Paranormal Con on the 25th of February in Savannah, and mm-hmm. then um, I'm also doing an appearance in. Florida in May at uh, uh, the Clay County Courthouse down there, the haunting, uh, the Ghost Hunt Weekend, which is a kind of a paranormal tour group around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of their events. And they do a lot of stuff at the Thomas House, too, that I mentioned earlier. But uh, th- those are the off the top of my head. I, I didn't prepare for class. Those are, <laughs> those, are the, 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 those are the events that I can remember off the top of my head. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, like, talk to me tonight. And I am looking forward to talking to you again. You have a wonderful night, Kyle, and thank you. 